Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Hey, well, this morning we are continuing week two of our series. We're calling it Asking for a Friend. And really, the, the heart of this series is um, the basic premise is questions are good. We strive to be a, a church not only for people who grew up in the faith, um, who maybe find uh, religious things normal, but also for, for people who maybe didn't grow up in a religious home, for people who have honest questions about these things. And so as we strive to be a church that welcomes good, honest questions, we want to entertain them. And so we've, we've developed a, a list of six questions, six weeks, six questions that we're going to go at that we think are lingering in the hearts of Christians um, and those who are entertaining faith in this season and in our culture. And so last week we saw the question, how do I know God's plan for my life? How do I know God's plan for me? And it was through asking a question, catch this, it was through asking the very question that we actually pursue the answer. You see, we ask, how do I know God's plan for our life? And that is like the springboard for our curiosity, uh, for us to ask and dive deeper. So today we take it one step forward to our next question. But before I do that, I'm going to posit a question that Giselle often asks me that will lead us into our question for today. So a few years ago, when we were going on vacation, we had a, a really busy week. And so we decided that we would pack like the day of that we were leaving. We we're going to drive up north. I honestly can't even remember where we were going. But that's not the point. We packed the day of, and Giselle's the planner type. So she's like kind of a little anxious, like, oh my goodness, I can't forget anything. I'm the, I'll go to Walmart and buy my underwears and socks if I forget them type. And so we pack everything the day of, we shove it all in the car, we head out, we didn't want to leave too late in the evening, and we're probably about an hour north, we're almost at Port St. Lucie, and, you know, she kind of grabs my hand, and she also sweetly asks me this, probably one of my most hated questions, she says, sweetie, did you lock the front door? <laughs> I'm like, gee, I'm 99% sure that I locked the door. She's like, do you remember for certain that you locked the front door? I said, well, I mean, I don't remember for certain. I mean, I always locked the door, but now you have me doubting if I locked the front door or not. Well, needless to say, we could not keep going or else we would not have a good vacation. So we turned around, we drove an hour back home to check if the door was locked. And guess what? The door was locked. So I'm willing to bet that you've had a similar story. I mean, some of you literally with locked doors. Am I right? I mean, it happens all the time. I see you, Roosevelt. That's right. Some of you literally with locked doors, but every single one of us has in some moment of our lives experienced doubt. And here's why. Doubt is an inescapable part of the human condition. Part of what it means to be a finite creature with a, a limited IQ. Everything from 
locking your front door to the person that you're about to marry. We can't replay our past and we can't fast forward into the future. So that necessarily means that we have to live with some, some degree of uncertainty, some degree of doubt. The problem we think comes when we're experiencing doubt as it pertains to our faith. We sort of get nervous about that. Um, we cited it a few weeks ago that Barna Research Group reports that over two-thirds of actually Christians, people who profess to follow Jesus, have actually experienced doubt in some shape, way, or form in their walk of faith. Sometimes asking questions of the like, is doubt the opposite of faith? Is it? And if it is, and a lot of people assume so, I guess whatever faith I do have isn't really genuine. Is doubt a sin? Is the Lord offended by my doubt? And these are honest questions. Am I a real follower of Jesus if I have doubts? Or can I even be a follower of Jesus if I have doubt? Are my prayers not being answered because I have doubt? All these, all these questions, right? Um, as it pertains to doubt that you may have had throughout the years. And if we're honest, it's not just about people who are struggling to commit to the Christian faith. Sometimes we think that, well, I'm doubtful because I don't know if Jesus really rose from the dead. That's one form of doubt. But if we're honest, people who have committed their lives to Jesus, I mean, we experience doubt. I mean, if I'm, if I'm honest with you, if I'm vulnerable here today, um, I can look back and I can point at moments where I've doubted God's provision. I've doubted his plans and his purposes for my life. Where I have doubted his ability to, to be in control, to, to uphold me. And I think if, if you and I, if we share the same humanity, I'm pretty sure you could look back and you could pinpoint moments that were very similar. The past couple of weeks, I think we've been mentioning a little bit about this, right? Questions are good. The Lord wants to meet you in your, in your doubt. We've been talking about this. We haven't really gone deeper. We haven't answered the question. We're going to go deeper. We're going to ask today, what do I do with my doubt? I mean, if it's something that's so inescapable that we all live with, we're finite creatures, right? What do we do with doubt? How do we handle it? How do we live with it? Can we conquer it? Because doubt that's handled correctly, I'm going to tell you straightforward, doubt that's handled correctly can actually lead you to a stronger faith, a more mature faith. It really can. To do that, we're going to dive into John chapter 20. We're going to use it as, as our uh, text for today. We're going to be jumping around from different scriptures for some context as well. We're going to read John chapter 20. I'm going to read from verse 19 to 29. You can follow along on the screen. It's in the COH app or on your good old handy Bible. Here we go. John 20 verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins and their sins, their sins are forgiven, if you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. Verse 24 
Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, which, by the way, Thomas is, an, is just the Aramaic version. Didymus is Greek. They both mean the same thing, twin. So now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. And so the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that in your scriptures, we find such genuine portrayals of your followers. Lord, because we can't help but notice that we are very similar. Lord, today we come with doubts, with hurts, um, with brokenness, and we just, um, we don't know what to do with it in every moment. And we just ask that you would meet us in this space, that you would speak to us through your word. Holy Spirit, would you open our hearts and our minds to see and hear what is yours. We ask in the name of Jesus, amen. And well, the text that we just read is actually a post-resurrection account. Just a few just a few weeks, literally, after we just celebrated Easter. So just uh, super appropriate that we would read this text today. So just to give you a little bit of, of context, Jesus was crucified, correct? He literally died. He was buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, and he was literally raised to life in the flesh. And he starts appearing to some of his closest followers. Um, the, the New Testament even says that he appeared to 500 people at a time. In this case, this was one of the first initial encounters starting in verse 19. Verse 19 and verse 24 are actually two separate encounters, one when Thomas is there, one when he isn't. But that's where we find ourselves. Jesus is risen. He's appearing to his closest followers, and that's, this is one or two of those encounters. Now, we don't know a whole lot about Jesus' disciples, the, the 10, the 12. And actually, at that moment, they were 11. Judas is no longer in the picture. But there's one disciple here that has some key phrases that we, that we might recognize, not by what he said, but by what we call him throughout history. We usually, refer, we usually use his name to refer to somebody who's been skeptical. We say, don't be such a doubting Thomas, right? Thomas the doubter we often say. Now, although we call him Thomas the Doubter, I think it's a very unfair nickname, as if doubt was something that he never overcame. He actually took the gospel to India. There's a grave, supposedly, tradition would have it that he, on a mountain in India somewhere, the Lord did amazing work through Thomas, he overcame that doubt, but it would seem as if he didn't because we call him Thomas the, the doubter. You know, I think some of us 
I think some of us are tempted to take that name, the doubter, and put our name in front of it. Jose the doubter. So-and-so the doubter. As if a doubt. We admit it's something inescapable, but maybe it's something that's always going to be a part of me. So-and-so the, the doubter. We might be tempted to remain with that nickname as if it's something we can't overcome. But in many ways... Thomas's life depicted in the Gospels, really, it serves as a paradigm, I think, for dealing with doubt. And it's from the following three stories, one of which is this one. We're going to come back to this one at the end. We're going to look at the two other places that Thomas shares a couple words with us, all within the Gospel of John. Three stories that will help us deal with our doubt this morning. So, First story comes from John chapter 11, and you would remember John chapter 11 as the story of of Lazarus. Lazarus dies, and Jesus wants to go and raise Lazarus, and the disciples don't really understand why Jesus wants to go back to Bethany, which is where Lazarus is, because Jesus is super unpopular over there. They actually tried to kill him just in the previous chapter, and now he wants to go back to Judea. He wants to go back to that area, and there's one disciple that has a line in that, in that passage. It's in John eleven sixteen, 16, and his name is Thomas. And he says, let us go also with Jesus. Let us go also that we may die with him. So there's, I think there's a couple ways you could read this. A lot, of, a lot of scholars actually think that Thomas is being sarcastic here. Just read it one more time, just so you see. Great, let's all go so we can die. Come on, Jesus. Let's just go die, right? I mean, we're left trying to interpret some, some words on a page, obviously. But a lot of scholars, given what he says in other places, we think that he's being a little bit sarcastic in this moment. I think they're right. Um, but here's what I find interesting. Even no matter, no matter which way you take it, I, I think that Thomas is probably the only one here that's being real with his dad. I mean, Jesus, we're... We are afraid. (laughs) We're afraid. We don't want to go back to Judea. We don't want to go back over there. He's not faking it in front of Jesus. He's not Thomas the doubter. He's he's Thomas the authentic. He's not Thomas the doubter. He's Thomas the authentic. And I think that Thomas' character here in this first story shows us that authenticity is the first step to dealing with our doubt. Authenticity is the first step to dealing with any doubt whatsoever. So maybe you're, you're wondering, so Jose, you're, you're saying I should literally tell Jesus that I am doubting him. My answer is yes. <laughs> yes, do that. Allow me to illustrate why. My parents are here this morning, actually. Um, this next illustration involves them. That's why I'm, I'm saying them. Some of you have already met them, and you, you've come up to them, and you've sort of said that they look young enough to be my siblings, I hope that this point on authenticity would help you to let that go. So, anyways, that was supposed to be a little bit funnier than that. Anyways, I think it's funny. I think it's funny. Anyways, when I was a little boy, uh, maybe five years old or whatever, we had, you, and many of you remember those dinosaur computers with desktops the size of crates. Now they're like paper thin. Before they were like the size of a crate. And I, and I was always fascinated you know, in those days, you would have to dial up to the internet, make that really ridiculous noise. Some of you are probably surprised that I'm old enough to know what that is. But I would go when I was a kid, and I would 
hit the dial up and it'd make that weird noise, which I'm not going to try to imitate right now. And obviously my parents didn't want me on the computer a, a whole lot. And so when I would hear them coming, I'd go and hide in the corner. And, you know, as fun parents as they were, tried to be, they would pretend they didn't know where I was. And I really thought that I was hiding. They would pretend as if they didn't know where I was. And here's, here's the thing. Would you hold that thought for just a moment? You trying to hide your doubt from God is as frivolous as a child trying to hide from their parents in plain sight. Notice that. It's as frivolous as that. He already knows where you are. He doesn't need to find you. He knows you can't, you can't fake it. There's something healing about you verbalizing your doubt to the Lord. Even though he already knows there's something healing about it. Here's the thing. The Lord wants you to be authentic with him. It's actually one of the, the requirements for you and I to approach him. Authenticity, the first step. One of Jesus' most famous words that I think we can apply here come from Matthew eleven twenty eight, where he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. The burden of doubt, and some, some translations say heavy laden, it's, it's heavy. It's burdensome. You need to share it with Jesus. Even if you think he can't handle it at the moment, you need to share it. So dealing with our doubt, we start with authenticity. The second story, which will lead us into our next point, comes from John 14. Here in John 14, Jesus has just told the disciples, another moving moment, that he's going to die. He's going to be taken into the hands of his enemies. He's going to be handed over, and he's going to die. But he says, take heart. I'm preparing a place for you. I'm going to come back. I'm going to comfort you. You know where I'm going, Jesus says. You know where I'm going. And then Thomas decides to step into the conversation yet again. And here's what Thomas says in John 14, 5. He says, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Here's the translation that I I think we can give Thomas here. Jesus, we have no clue what you're talking about. (laughs) Give us directions, please. See, guys, for all the men in the room, it's not a bad thing to ask for directions every once in a while. See, I, I think that this story... Where Thomas literally just tells Jesus, Jesus, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're saying. You're you're saying all this stuff, and I'm not understanding. Where are you going? Where do I need to go? He's not Thomas the doubter. He's Thomas the seeker. He's not Thomas the doubter. He's Thomas the seeker. He's practical. He's a realist. He's asking questions. He doesn't know. He honestly doesn't know, and he wants to find out. He's seeking the truth. And it's interesting that Thomas's question here prompts Jesus to say one of the most profound verses in all of Scripture where Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And I think what Jesus is getting at in that moment is when you acknowledge your doubt, you don't just, you don't just wallow in it, you seek him. You seek the truth. You seek him, he's going to show up because he is the way and he is the truth. Jesus himself says in Matthew 7, 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. 
Knock and the door's gonna be open to you. The, the Lord wants you to seek him wholeheartedly with authenticity. He wants you to seek him no matter what's going on in your heart today. And he promises to reveal himself. He's the truth. You can find him because he wants you to. Now, some people think that their journey of faith is going to result in no doubt. That eventually there will come a moment when they never experience doubt again. Or that's, the, that's almost like the mark that they said. Like, that's the super Christian, right? No more doubt, all faith. But here's, here's the truth. That, that goal is actually not true. We already said doubt is an inescapable part of what it means to be human. Here's another thing of what it means to be human. Every human lives by faith. Each and every single one of us live by faith. Every worldview takes faith. Even the atheist, the one that says that there is no God, needs to have faith. You can't perform the scientific method on the creation of the universe. Nobody was there. If you can't do a science fair project, anybody remember science fair projects from the fifth grade? You can't do a science fair project on the creation of the universe. Nobody was there. You need faith to ultimately believe that there is no God, that something came from absolutely nothing and no one. And here's here's the thing with us as well. When you find Jesus, you still live by faith on this side of eternity. Now, it's not an empty faith. It's not a a blind faith. I mean, Jesus was a real person who lived 2,000 years ago, who died. There's evidence in the scriptures and extra biblical evidence to affirm that he really was crucified, that he really did exist. And we can examine that evidence and make a, a reasonable observation, right? We can make the step of faith. Nevertheless, we live by faith. And so you might ask, what's the goal then? What's the goal with my doubt? Where do I take this? To answer that question, I'm going to take you, I'm going to take your mind's eye to my kitchen for a moment. Would you come with me to my kitchen? Here we go. So there aren't many things in this world that I think that I'm better than most. I try to be humble. I try. Here's, (laughs) Ginny's over there cracking up. Here's, Here's what I will not let up on. My Cuban ground beef recipe is the best. (laughs) It is the best. Some of you are now waiting an invitation to my house or a potluck for me to bring some. It is the best. Even better than Don Ramon's, hands down, I promise you. But here's the thing. My, My recipe takes sweet red bell pepper, okay? And one day as I'm trying to prepare this, this recipe, I started making the food already and I realized I don't have sweet red bell pepper. So what I go is I, I look in the pantry and I see some red flakes. It says pepper on it. I'm like, okay, you know, I'll just take this. This ought to work. I didn't realize that it was cayenne, <laughs> hot pepper. So I, I douse my, my, you know, the, the, thing, the pot with a ton of the cayenne pepper. And if you know me, I abhor Spicy food. I just can't. I can't take it. So I served the plate to Giselle and I, and all of a sudden we put it in our mouth, and a second later we're just spitting it out. We can't even manage it. We're just drinking milk for like five minutes because we can't take the heat. So what I'm, but I wasn't about to throw away a whole pound of meat. So I get some honey, right? And I just, 
See if the sweetness can counteract some of that. I know some of you are like, uh, I got to make the food work. So put the honey in there. And you know what? It worked. It wasn't my recipe, but it worked. You couldn't taste the heat anymore because the sweetness of the honey counteracted the heat of the, pe- the pepper. It was still in there, but it wasn't strong enough to cause heat. Keep that image in your mind. And I think that that's similarly what happens when you grow your faith, when you seek and when you find Jesus. There's a moment maybe when your doubts are so hot in your soul that they're inignorable. You, you can't not see them. They're there. They're troubling you. But there comes a moment when you seek and pursue Jesus that he's able to move you along the path. He's able to heal you, mend your brokenness, and show you that he's greater than your doubt, to show you that he's real. And it comes to the point where your faith increases, the sweetness of faith increases to block out the heat of that doubt. Where no longer the doubt is still there. It's in, we're, we're finite. We're limited. We, we need faith. But the doubts are no longer strong enough to cause heat in our soul. To make a difference in our belief system. But you can only get there if you begin with authenticity. And if you seek him, you seek the truth and you ask questions. Authenticity. Seeking. The final story of Thomas is the one that we read. It's the last piece of the puzzle that we're missing here. And I think that it brings in the the final crucial ingredient for for us really today, the modern church, to, to live a life of genuine faith in light of what's going on in our hearts. Now, as we read in John chapter 20, all the disciples are present when the resurrected Jesus comes. All of them are there Except who? Except Thomas. Thomas isn't there. Notice in John 20, 24, just to refresh our memories. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. That's like the biggest you missed it moment. Like, you should have been there, Thomas. You, you totally blew it. Now, one question that as I was studying, and I've actually had somebody ask me before, where, where was Thomas? Think about it. The 10 other disciples are in the room. Where is Thomas? If you ask me, I, I personally think that, that Thomas was grieving alone. I think that Thomas, um, having known and seen the, literally the person that he thought was the living manifestation of God's promises, was executed in the most horrific, the most humiliating fashion in the ancient world. I think he was grieving alone. And how, how many of us isolate ourselves when we're grieving, when we're hurting, when we're doubting? I mean, we, sometimes we don't, we don't even want to come to church because it's hard. We isolate. So when the disciples tell Thomas, now Thomas comes, that, hey man, we've seen Jesus. You missed him. Thomas responds and says, unless I see the nail marks in John 20, 25, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, put my hands into his side, I will not believe. Here's the translation of that. Unless I see, I can't believe. No, I doubt's too big. I can't. Here's the most beautiful part of this story. The most beautiful part of this story is when Jesus comes back. 
It's not just because Jesus comes back a week later. I mean, think about how many people received the privilege of visibly seeing the resurrected Jesus. Think about it. Not many. Jesus comes back a second time to the same room, except he only came back for Thomas. He only came back for him. He's the God that leaves the 99 to go after the one as Luke writes in Luke 15. And Jesus is here going after Thomas, not to shame him. Like, Thomas, why didn't, you, why didn't you believe? I mean, literally Jesus over and over again said he was gonna die and then be raised to life. He said it over and over again, about three times, I think, if you go through the Gospels and they didn't believe. I mean, he could have shamed Thomas. Thomas, you should have believed me the first time. You're no longer my disciple. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus came back and reached for Thomas, just like he's reaching for you. Not to save you, not to shame you, but to reach you. And he tells Thomas, here, Thomas, touch my side. Touch it. Touch my hands. See that I'm real. See that I'm here with you. I'm here to stay. Thomas says in verse 28, Probably one of the most accurate responses to Jesus ever recorded in the entire scriptures. My Lord and my God. Here's what Thomas's response shows us. He's not Thomas the doubter. He's Thomas the willing. He's not Thomas the doubter. He's Thomas the willing. See, Jesus is willing to come back and extend his hands to you. Are you willing to extend it forward? Are you willing to touch him? And I, can, and I see that as really an inescapable moment for us. You can be authentic with your doubt. You can seek and even find the truth. Are you willing to take the step forward and trust him? He's reaching his hands towards you, but will you extend and reach forward in faith as well? Trust his words and his truth. Don't believe the lie that you'll live with doubt forever don't believe it, or that it will be the greatest part of your soul. Don't believe it, because there will come a moment when you're authentic with the Lord, when you seek him, and you pursue him, and you're willing to trust him, that the whispers of the Lord Jesus will be louder than the shouts of the doubts in your heart. They will be louder. I promise you that. I hope today that you were encouraged to just be authentic with the Lord wherever you find yourself to take greater steps to seek him, to pursue him wherever you find yourself, to just be willing. Be willing when you hear the Lord to take a step of faith. Be willing to follow him no matter what. Would you just uh, stay in that posture of prayer and receive the, this blessing that we find in the small book of Jude, almost at the end of the New Testament, where Jude writes, But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life and be merciful to those who doubt. Would you go in God's grace? We'll see you next week. God bless.